Okay. So, a few months ago, as I was, um, I think it was at the end of the year, the beginning, the end of last year, the beginning of this year, something like that, um, I sat up here in a, in a chair and I, I shared parts of my story with you. It was parts of my testimony, my family life growing up, um, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my struggle with alcohol, the freedom that the Lord gave me over that, um, my journey into parenting, um, like, and so, it, I, and I also promised you that telling more stories about the, the ways in which Jesus works faithfully in our lives over long periods of time or even short periods of time would be something that we would do more often, right? Because sometimes it's difficult to conceptualize how God is going to work in my life in the midst of my circumstances if I don't, if I can't see it or recognize it in the way in which that he's, he's doing it or has done it in other people's lives. And so, and so sometimes we, sometimes what is necessary to build to build or develop the faith that God is going to work in my life, it's necessary to see how God has been faithful to do it in the lives of others. Okay? Um, and so this morning, we're going to hear from uh, the director of our, of our Conduit Kids ministry, Brandon, Brandon Billstone. And Brandon is, is definitely our most loved staff person here. <laughs> um, uh, and with good reason, you know. Uh, Brandon is relatively new to the position, but has just done um, such a fantastic and beautiful job um, with, with your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews and all of the little ones downstairs. And she basically is the pastor for an entire church that meets on the lower level of this building while we meet up here. That's how, that's how complex and large that group of um, uh, little people is downstairs. And we're just so grateful that she's on our team here and part of our family. And she has a tremendous story of the way in which God has just been faithful in her life over the years. And um, I'm going to do my very, very best to not talk. <laughs> um, because I think her story tells, it, tells itself and she does a really good job at it, even though she's really nervous. Okay? Um, so let's, let's take a minute and let's pray over Brandon and then uh, we'll let her jump right in. Okay. Heavenly Father, we, um, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be uh, in this place this morning. We're thankful for uh, our sister Brandon and her faithfulness, Lord, to share her story. Lord, we pray that every bit of fear, um, every bit of trepidation would just fall away, would melt away in this moment. We pray, Heavenly Father, that, um, that we would just see so clearly how you have called Brandon, how you have been working for uh, years and years and years 
um, to be faithful in her life. And um, Lord, we're just so thankful for her. So thank you, Lord, for entrusting her to us here at Conduit. We pray for her family, for her husband, for her beautiful children, Lord, for the ministry that she leads, Lord, that your favor and blessing would be upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Brandon, how you doing this morning? Doing pretty good. Good, good. Um, so, Brandon, you're you're relatively new to Conduit, mm-hmm. and you, in particular, were not born and raised in the area. Although your husband and his family, mm-hmm. I don't know where's Eric. There's mm-hmm. Eric right there. Um, your there he is. Yep, he deserves recognition as well, right? Yes, he does. He deserves recognition. Um, and, um, but, so you're not local to this area, but your, your family or your husband's family is local to this area, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why you guys are here. But where did you kind of, where did you grow up and what was kind of like the, the beginning origins of your, of your life and your story? So, um, I was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina to my parents, uh, Bill and Lisa and, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of memories from that part of my childhood, but I remember, you know, walks to the pond and bamboo. And if, you, if you've ever been to the South, we also have this thing called kudzu. Does anyone know what that is? Okay, thank you, thank you. So kudzu. So that's part of, like, my story. Um, two years after I was born, my sister Ariel was born, and then three years later, my brother Richard. And then whenever my mom was pregnant with Savannah... Um, she came to pick my sister and I up from school, and we, she said we're going on a little visit to my families in Maryland, and um, we were excited to kind of go on this vacation, um, but we never went back. So soon after that, my parents got divorced, and we kind of began that life of um, just transition and, you know, going back and forth, visiting our dad who lived in South Carolina, then coming up to Maryland. And for me at that time, it felt a little bit disorienting. Just, I didn't know, like I'd heard about maybe divorce a little bit. I was in third grade, but I didn't have any, you know, understanding of that it could happen to my family, right? So, you know, new school, new friends, trying to navigate that was all challenging at that age. But soon enough, we kind of settled in, and um, my sister Savannah was born. She had some pretty significant developmental delays, so we kind of lived with my grandparents for a while, and so my mom was able, we bought the house across the street, and we kind of just settled into our new normal. My dad, Bill, ended up moving up closer to us so he could be more a part of our lives. He was like, you know, the sports dad, and Um, The last-minute science fair dad, you know, like the come-to-the-rescue kind of person for us. Um, And so, you know, life kind of continued. My mom got remarried to Buck, and in the span of a, you know, I don't know how many years it was at this point. I'm in early elementary. Two sets of twins, where my mom had two sets of twins. So now there are eight of us. So I'm the oldest of eight, and... If it sounds like chaos, yep, it was, (laughs) but it was also a lot of fun. Um, And so, you know, it was around my, my parents had always taken us to church. We kind of went with, to one church with my dad and grandparents, and then to another church with my mom and stepdad Buck. Um, 
and, you know, so I had grown up hearing the stories, went to Awana, so I had all my little verses memorized and some badges. But it wasn't until maybe late elementary that I feel like God kind of caught my attention. Like, I wanted to know him. I was at a summer camp, and I just started to, like, get little glimpses of who he was, like his goodness and his love. And um, I wanted to know him more. And so throughout middle school and even into high school, I just kind of... I, I just wanted to know him. I, I got to know him through youth group and different relationships. And I wanted my friends to know this, this God that was becoming so much to me. The more I knew him, the more I wanted to know. Um, and so, you know, in my, you know, in that, the age that I was, I did my best to try to set an example or show people what it was like. And um, it was my senior year. We had just gotten to do this really incredible it's called the Seven Project, and basically, my youth group hosted this event at our school where we got to kind of share the gospel with our friends, with my teammates, with our classmates, and it was just this incredible, incredible experience of people just coming to know this God that I knew loved them and could change their lives. And so, my sister and I got home from that event, and Mom and Buck called us into their bedroom and sat us down and. Um, they told us that my dad, Bill, had been arrested. And, I mean, like, the air was sucked out of the room. You know, you, I couldn't comprehend what was happening, really. He had been arrested for child pornography. My sister, Savannah, who was at eight at that time, had been a victim along with many other kids. And because of the level of his producing and distributing this material, he was going to be imprisoned a life, with a life sentence, and I, they were telling me this, and it literally felt like the room was just spinning, because I, I couldn't, it didn't make sense, like I couldn't bring together this picture of my dad on the sideline of the soccer field, and this monstrous thing that he had been doing, and I remember just like, at one point, I really just like couldn't handle what they were saying, and I just kind of just took off running, and I just ran as fast as I could, and so my lungs just like couldn't. I felt like they were going to explode because I didn't want to feel that pain and that confusion and that hurt. And then I just remember I pretty much just like collapsed on this dirt road, and I just was weeping and felt so confused and hurt and and just kind of lost. But when I was crying out, I wasn't just crying out to nothing. I was crying out to my God who was there and who was with me even in the dirt and in the, the hurt. And even though things didn't make sense, and I, you know, even to this day, I feel like I'm still walking on this road of trying to understand forgiveness and um, and hurt and trust and hope and and as I've gone, you know, been in counseling and kind of dealing with some of the stuff even now, like walking through some significant moments of just anxiety or depression and that same God who was there has continued to be faithful and continue to walk with me as, you know, my family has navigated those things. And so kind of going back in time to those moments I was a senior in high school, and so Buck, 
my stepdad ended up adopting me and my three other siblings that had come from Bill. And so, you know, he had eight kids as a single dad. I mean, at, you know, he and my mom had eight kids. And so um, it was two years later. I was playing. I played soccer in college. And um, I was coming home from practice. You know, I dropped off my nasty bag on the floor. And my, phone, my cell phone rang. And so I answered it. And it was my mom. And she was calling to let me know that some of the pain that she had been experiencing, she had some, like, stomach. They were trying to figure out what was going on was cancer, and it was in the fourth stage. And so, again, it was just like my world felt like it was spinning because, like, to try to capture what my mom was to us, like, there are eight kids, and she's the one who is, like, our, kind of like our rock, you know, and she, in her own journey with this God that I had was coming to know, she loved him. She loved God. She loved us. She loved others. And just to even try to capture who she was, like, uh, I remember I had come home from college in May, so it was maybe like five or six months after we had, you know, gotten the news. And at that point, she was in a wheelchair and had lost her speech because the brain, or because the cancer had spread into her brain. Um, and it was getting close to my sister's birthdays, the second or the oldest set of twins. And she was so determined to make them a birthday cake. And I just watched her shakily hold her arms on her lap and just try with everything that she had to make this cake for them. And in that, I, I felt just all she wanted to do was continue to love her family and serve her family. And the cancer was just not allowing her to do that. And I, I struggled, I wrestled with God in that, like seeing the, this, the reality of the suffering and the hurt. And, but then at the same time, I was similar, and it was kind of close in time. I had snuck into her bedroom at one point to try to grab some laundry. And while I walked into the room, she had worship music playing. And literally, if you can picture, like, her arms were these little thin skeleton arms. They were lifted to God. And she was worshiping him, even though she was not able to serve her family. Even though cancer was wrecking her body, she saw something in him that she continued to love. And he was with her. It was a short time after that we kind of, you know, gathered around, and she was, um, you know, it was, it was, we all knew the end was coming, and just kind of, my older siblings and I, or just the oldest of us, were in her room with her, and kind of just like, as she took her breath, you kind of, without knowing it, held your own breath, you know, just like, waiting to see if that was the last one, almost hoping it was, but hoping there would be another one as well, and then, and then she was gone. And when she passed away, I just not only grieved her loss, but like, I feel like that was the first time I really started to wrestle with like the hard things that people go through, like not just the death of my mom, but the evil and the hurt and the destruction that is so much a part of so many people's experiences. And Unlike when my, my things happened with my dad, this time God felt incredibly far. 
he felt distant and he went through the season of just kind of despair. I knew who God was and I, I clung on to that, but he felt so far. And I, you know, I just had big questions that I, that I needed to wrestle with. And it, it was a pretty long season of what I would just call kind of despair. And it wasn't, and, and slowly things started to change, but it wasn't because I started to get answers. I started understanding, like, why these things happen. But it was like the, that God, this God that I served, even in, like, the depth of my despair, his presence and his love somehow went deeper. Be, and he was true enough and he was good enough that he could handle the questions and the doubts and the confusion that I had about his goodness and about his love. And, and so it was like this. His, he just became, I don't know how to say it other than more real. And it reminded me of this verse in Psalm 139. You might be familiar with it, but I just, I just wanted to read it really quick. It says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is like the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And I think that's what I was experiencing, that even in the depth of despair, that God was there. And so, you know, I, again, it's still been a journey of understanding and God's still been walking with me. And like Cameron mentioned, um, with, uh, you know, okay, so I graduated, I get married and I have kids. And in an interesting way, I started realizing like that brokenness wasn't just external, but like in here. The things that I knew I wanted to do for my family, the way I wanted to love them and wanted to serve them, weren't always realities. And like any pretense that I had that I could hold things together fell completely apart. I saw my own failures, my own frailty, my own impatience and selfishness and incapacity to do what I wanted to do. And it was in that that I realized that This God that I served was never loving me because of what I could produce or what I could do, but because of his goodness. And the same God that stood in the gap for me when my family, when my life was falling apart, was also the one I could trust to stand in the gap for my kids and my husband. And to this day is continuing to work in me and in my family and in our imperfections because he is good and he is able and he is the one that we trust. Brandon texted me this early or later, a couple like a day or two ago, and she was like, "If I just kind of like keep talking and you don't get a chance to like ask me any questions, is that okay?" And I'm like. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll, it'll be okay, right? So it'll be okay. Um, yeah, what a tremendous story of early, well, just what you said. Like, I don't need to add anything to it. You know, the experiences that you've had and the ways in which you both felt God near in your pain, but also felt like, God, where are you mm-hmm. in my pain? 
but that somehow in a supernatural, only the way that God can do it way, like you felt at the bottom of the pit, but then when you uncovered that la- the last bottom of the pit, expecting to find the very bottom, like God was there too, mm-hmm. and like God was there too, and God was there too, and like you could not, you could not go deep enough in despair to separate yourself from his presence. Um, so you, what, what brought you, like, what were the circumstances that after you got, got married and you had your kids and you were like moving back into this area, like what was life or were you, were you staying at home with your kids? Mm-hmm. Were you working? Like, what was like, what was life like around then? So, um, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of change your question. So that's fine. <laughs> I'm go sit down. You got it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I think like one other thing, like as I was, you know, going through this or, you know, just through life and um, I knew that, again, like I still knew even with all the chaos, confusion questions, like I, I wanted other people to find this God that I had found and have the hope that I had uh, through what you know, through life circumstances, and so I, I decided when I was in high school to go into education, so I could just because I, I loved working with kids, and I wanted them to know like that they were created by God and for God, and that they had a purpose, and so uh, education seemed like a great way just to like build relationship and get to know them and their families and pour into them, and I loved doing that. Um, so I taught for a while, and then when I had my second daughter Adeline, I ended up starting to stay home, and so I was home with my kids for maybe four years, and in the midst of that, um, Eric and I were, we were living outside of Philadelphia, and, you know, kind of far from both families, and then um, we, we were serving in our church, like, we loved it there, it's like one of the reasons we actually moved to, like, stayed in that area, Um, but we just kind of felt like... I don't know, it's like felt like something was like shifting or changing, like nothing was wrong, but we just felt like there was some, um, like maybe, maybe we could just like go, or like we thought maybe change was coming. It was kind of interesting. But we were comfortable, and Eric had a, you know, good job. We were, I was staying home. We had great friends. But this feeling of kind of discontentment kept kind of going. And so we were up visiting one time, visiting Eric's family, and we were joking around with my sister-in-law. She's like, why don't we just go look at some houses? You know, let's just, let's just see. I'm like, all right, whatever. We just kind of were joking about it. And there was this house on the market, and there weren't very many houses on the market. So we we're like, well, we'll just put an offer in. We'll see, you know, like whatever. <laughs> because there's so many other offers on. The, the sellers were like, yeah, we're just accepting offers by this Friday. We've had, you know, a bunch of interest. So we put an offer in. Eric couldn't even see the house because he wasn't even here at that time. So I put an offer in on the house. (laughs) Just like, I don't even know why we did it. And then we got a call like two hours later, like, you have the house. And I'm like, (laughs) Eric goes, are we moving? I'm like, I don't know. But casually buying a house (laughs) on a random Friday. I guess we're moving across the country. No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) It was really actually pretty comical. And I wasn't excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? 
So then, but then it was like, it was in the midst of COVID and Eric would have to find work. So like, what are the odds of that happening, right? So he put his resume out. We can't just move without a job. Nothing really was happening. He's like, I'm just going to ask my super conservative company if they'll let me work remotely six hours away and travel every other week. So he asked them and they said, sure. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't know about like how God works with this stuff, but it seems as though this could mean that an open door is happening. So we moved. You see, I think, I think that God knew we were going to need a Brandon Billstone. (laughs) But like I said, I'm going to stop talking. So you keep going. So we get here, and I was staying home, and I was starting to kind of get to the place where I'm like, ah, feeling like, do I go back to work? I don't really want to go back full-time as a teacher, even though I miss being in the classroom. Like, I wanted to be able to still be with my kids, and, um, and then I got invited to kind of come. Like, I started serving conduit kids, and like, yes, I loved it so much. It was crazy, but it was so fun, and just getting to, like, know the kids and, um, I just, I, it was, it was incredible. And so I started serving there and then, um, I got to, I got asked if I could help with the VBS and like making Excel spreadsheets and like organizing. And I was just like, I I just miss it so much. Like just doing something other than dishes and changing diapers. This is so good. So, and then like our, just like the heart behind Conduit's VBS was not just like reaching the kids who had heard the gospel before, but doing it in a park in our community. And I was just like, I love this. This is so good. And um, while we were in the midst of kind of planning it or doing something, I think it was a joke. Like, I think there was a joke that happened. Like, do do you you want to work here? And I'm like, Yes, I do. Yeah, it was kind of like, a, you know, like, oh, we'll just put an offer on the house. You know, like, hey, Brandon, you know, if you're not busy next week, you can work for me. And she's like, okay. I'm like, I'm like well, I guess I'm committed now. And so, even though he wasn't actually asking, I don't think you were actually asking. No, but I was kind of asking. But I, don't I, know. Like, I, I never imagined that you would be like, sure, let's yeah. do this. So. And then, yeah, so I started working in Conduit Kids, and I've just, I've really enjoyed it. And I think, like, again, the kids that are downstairs, the kids that are in our purple room, and our red room, and our, like, every single room, they have life stories. They've gone through hard things, whether it's with their families, whether it's with their friends, whether it's coming, and it, it hasn't happened yet. Like, the God that we're telling them about every week is the God that is enough for them. And the, the, the volunteers that are serving down there are doing that because in their lives, in the midst of their imperfection, God is enough for them. And the reason we're going to do a VBS in a park and the reason we want to help, the reason we are all about taking the gospel outside of these walls is because there is a God for the Jamestown community that is enough for them. And, we, and our, one of our primary values is like Jesus is everything in the gospel literally changes it all and I mean my story is that and it's continuing to be my story and I know that so many of you have that same story and so I mean what an incredible privilege to get to be a part of what God is doing and I think he has 
so much that he wants to continue to do in our own lives, in this community, in our kids downstairs. And regardless of what we are going through, regardless of how hard things get, I was talking to my counselor the other day, and you know, sometimes there's still like there's anxiety, like, well, what if, what if? And then she told me, she said, yeah, what if? And it's just like this real moment, like, okay, I will still have the same God that has walked with me through the hardest things and through the best things and through the things that are still continuing to go on, I will still have him and he will still be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brandon, I would love for, because part, part of the reason is, is like you, you get to see me a lot. You get to see Pastor Luke a lot. Like Ellen's on stage a lot, obviously. You get to see Jessica quite a bit. But like we don't get to see you <laughs> A ton, right? And um, and it's I have lots of opportunities to share like my passion and my calling and like the like the the vision of ministry that like I believe God is unfolding at Conduit. Um, but we don't get a chance to hear from your heart. And um, you've talked a little bit about it, but would love to hear just a little bit more about like how being in the public school system and having like this desire to share the love of Jesus, but like being naturally kind of like having to be naturally reserved kind of led into a desire to work in children's ministry. And then like what your, what your, um, like your heart is for kids ministry in general, but like here at conduit. Um, so like, what was the first part of that one again? Just like the discontent that you were feeling yeah. in the public school system. Yeah, so I, like I said, I love the connections that I was able to build with kids and families. And like, you know, in the public school system, I'm sure different teachers and different people work in different ways. Like, how can you both be respectful of the, the authority in place and also, like, help kids know Jesus, you know, directly? And so, for me, that was you know, just loving them and trying to serve them as best I could. But I just felt like it wasn't enough. You know, I saw, I saw that the hope that they needed, I saw the, the pain that they were experiencing, I saw brokenness in their families, and I didn't have what I felt like were, like I didn't have enough opportunities to just tell them. Like I, and maybe that was just on my part, maybe I could have. But I, I just wanted to be able to just, just say it, just be able to directly tell kids about this God that had given me so much hope. And so, you know, I, I felt like, and sometimes, you know, and you know how this is in, in every workforce, like there are still things to do. Like I wasn't just there to present the gospel. Like I was there to teach them how to write narrative, you know, and uh, I was there to like, you know, help them read and do this. And so I think just I think I, and it was really funny. As I remember in college, I went to a Bible college, and um, I got my degree in education. I don't know why, but I was always like, kids' ministry just wasn't my thing. I was like, I don't really want to do that. And so I think, like, <laughs> I, re- I literally said that to me. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know why. I just don't want to do kids' ministry. But I think, like, being in the education system and seeing, like, even though I, was, I love teaching, it wasn't quite what I wanted. Like, I, as much as I love, like, science experiments and, like, helping them understand, like, these cool concepts, Newton's Law, like, wow, 
there was still something bigger, like the one who created that. I wanted to point them to him, kind of thing. And so it just didn't quite like, I feel like through that experience, I started realizing like, I actually maybe do want to do kids ministry. Yep. I want kids That's to good. know Jesus. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> um, so, so what about like now, what is the heart or your heart for kids ministry here at Conduit? And maybe for the, like the uninitiated among us, like what is the, I guess you could say like the goal or the push or the passion or the drive for why we have a whole like essentially the rest of the building other than this room like tailor made for our kids so i really believe that like again i think the way discipleship works for all of us and for kids is in community right and so for these kids so i've already said like i want kids to know the reality of this God, but like, what does that look like? How does that happen? How does that happen for kids who aren't talking or for kids who are, you know, in the red room or in preschool? And then how does it happen all the way up to for our middle schoolers? And so I think it happens by them getting to connect, getting connected to other adults who love Jesus, who serve Jesus, who see them and who love them and who walk with them and who know them and who hear their names. And that means that it's not like me, that actually does this important work of helping kids follow Jesus. It's our volunteers who are willing to go in sometimes months at a time, a month at a time, or twice a month for indefinite periods of time to like get to know our kids and to week in and week out see them and love them and in small group settings in age appropriate ways share the truth of the gospel every week. So like we have a curriculum and it goes through the entire Bible. It, you know, from in a three-year span, we kind of cover all the books of the Bible because it's important for us because God's word is like so, it, it reveals who he is, right? Mm-hmm. And so in Conduit Kids, we, have, we base our teaching on the Bible. And in the midst of that, we also are always in every story, like I don't know if you know the story, but um, I think in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is walking with disciples after he raises from the dead. And I love this part. It's like, He's revealing how all of Scripture points to him. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards it says their hearts were like burning. Weren't our hearts burning while he was t- talking to us, telling us? Like, that's what I want kids to encounter. That how all of Scripture, whether we're in Ruth or we're in James or we're in Matthew, like all of Scripture points to him. And again, Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all. And so what we're teaching them is the truth. And then how we're teaching them is through relationship with adults who see them and love them and care for them. And that even if you're not volunteering in Conduit Kids, like I want you to know that you still have a very significant role to play. Like we had babies and kids come up into the middle here and you matter there's a, a book that I'm reading called Sticky Faith, and they've kind of looked at like what actually helps kids stay grounded from when they leave high school and the faith becomes their own. And it's whenever other adults, first of all, their parents, right, modeling and loving them by the grace of God. Please, Lord, help us, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's also when other adults in their community of faith see them and love them and invest in them. And so even if you're not serving in Conduit Kids, like, you have a role to play. Get to know what kids' names are. Who are they? What do they like? Where do, where do they go to school? What, what's going on in their lives? And loving them. And I think it's a, it's a whole church 
dynamic, I think, that helps kids know and love Jesus. And even if you're not serving in conduit kids, you can serve mm-hmm. in conduit kids. Mm-hmm. You can serve in conduit kids. But... There are some openings, yeah, yes. There, yeah, we have, we yeah, have several. There are job opportunities available. <laughs> uh, um, you can see me afterwards. Um, but, uh, yeah, like the... The the pathway of discipleship remains the same for our kids and our middle schoolers and our youth. But I mean, we have youth group tonight, for instance, right? And youth group is not a single a single kid, right? sits down and watches a video of Bible teaching and then gets everything that they need in order to live the life of Jesus and follow Jesus, right? Those kids, from youth group to middle school into like conduit kids, um, in all of those ages, they're the the context of discipleship. We believe is community, mm-hmm. meaning that we are we are discipled in the midst of community, alongside one another, in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ who are who desire to follow Jesus as well, and so we're all following Jesus together. The, con- the context is, is community. The content of discipleship is the Word of God, right? And, that, and, the, and the main discipler, the person that pushes the content into the context to get into the people, is the Holy Spirit of God, mm-hmm. right? That is... That is like incarnated through the way that we love each other, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so, as for instance, in Condo Kids, as a as a volunteer who's serving in a room of three and four year olds, for instance, right? You, through your own faith in Jesus, um, are are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're letting those kids be in, in a context that is safe for them. That is appropriate for them that tries to be fun and engaging for their age appropriateness Mm -hmm. right and you're sharing the word of god with them in the knowledge and with the desire that what what you're unable to do in Mm -hmm. your like your human frailty or like man i'm not i'm no theologian or i'm no pastor so how could i ever how could I ever possibly disciple a child, right? Um, the answer is, is like, you're there to be um, someone who, like, is a conduit. Eh, eh, a conduit of the Holy Spirit, right? Communicating the Word of God and watching the Holy Spirit in the context of community there work in that child's life. But you're creating those relationships that, that last forever. Pastor Luke and I were in Wegmans last week having lunch. And um, into the cafe, right, walks my high school Sunday school teacher. Who, who I, I would say, like, is probably, probably the most significant adult figure in my life that encouraged me to pursue what I was feeling was a call into ministry. And without her, without her, just, you know, like, not my, she wasn't my mom, she wasn't my family, 
You're just a lady that said yes mm. to teaching middle school and high school kids the Bible mm-hmm. in a little church in East Randolph, New York. That I was like, you know what? Yeah, she sees that in me. Maybe I will. Maybe I will do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe I will answer that call to ministry. Um, and, uh, and so, like, that influence was... It couldn't. It can't be overstated. It's impossible to overstate the importance of the influence that we have in our kids' lives. Yeah, and and I would even say to that end too. It's like, again, like this is God's work that we get to be a part of, and so, um, like, you never know like how He's going to use you, and and you don't really, like, I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend like how He will. But when you're willing just to say like. All right, this is what I have. Like, here it is. He works and he uses what seems pretty meager sometimes to, and it just completely can blow your mind. I, and like, it can be such, such small things. I remember one time I was kind of, I was um, picking up my daughter from Red Room, and one of the volunteers there was just like, oh, I just love how your daughter, and I think, like, I think she says, she just gets, she just, she just gets so enthusiastic, and I just love that about her. And her little comment was just like, it meant so much to me. And I, it almost like really helped me see my daughter a little bit differently, a little better, a little more clearly and just be like, you know what? That is something that she's incredible at. And so it's like a little comment, huge impact. And so you never know, like as you're serving, like how God wants to use you. And so, yeah, even in our, when we don't have it together, it's pretty, it's fine. We just Mm -hmm. offer what we we do have. Mm -hmm. Well, Brandon, we are incredibly grateful for your vulnerability and your honesty um, and your willingness to share your story and your heart with us. We're grateful to you, grateful to Eric. Um, Not many people understand the the sacrifice that um, spouses make um, in ministry as well. It's significant. It is significant, and so we're thankful to Eric, and um, we're 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 thankful. I'm I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I'm sure you are as well. Thankful to the Lord for bringing you here. You're not here on accident. We know that uh, you're not here on accident. We're we're so grateful that we get to um, just witness the story of God's faithfulness in your life, and thank you so much for all that you do for the kingdom here for our kids for our families for um the staff for the leadership for the congregation as a whole and um we just bless you and love you and your family so much thank so thank you thank you let's uh, yeah you can give a round I want to I want to pray for Brandon and um, and uh, Conduit Kids and her family uh, one more time as the worship team is coming back forward and um, we can uh, transition in our service. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you so much for our sister Brandon and I thank you, Lord, for the incredible way that you have um, shown yourself faithful in her life. Lord, someday, I promise, 
I'm going to stop being surprised. That in, in, the, in, the, in the moments where the worst of our human condition is on display, that you, that you show yourself to be more good than the world could ever possibly be evil. Lord, that your goodness, uh, that your love to us in Jesus Christ goes deeper than even our most despairing times, situations, and circumstances. And even though, Lord, those seasons of despair may last and last and last and last and last, Lord, your goodness is still there. Your faithfulness is still there. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Lord, and that you will have the last word in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Brandon and her family, for her husband, Eric, for her three children, Lord. We pray your blessing. Not just your blessing, Lord, but your favor upon them. We pray, Lord, for your, your blessing and your favor and, the, and, and fruitfulness in the ministry that um, Brandon leads, Conduit Kids, Lord. We pray, Father, for a tsunami of children deciding to follow Jesus. Lord, and that the faith that is expressed in the life of these kids would overflow even, Lord, sometimes to their unbelieving parents. Lord, that, that through, through their faith, that others would be brought to faith, Lord. We thank you for her leadership, Lord. We pray your blessing on her and her family in Jesus' name. Amen.